to the book of, uh, book of uh, Mark chapter 12 this morning. We're going to be in verses 13 through 17 today. 13 through 17, so as you make your way to that text, we're going to read that in a moment. Some of you know, but I, I lived in England for a good chunk of my childhood and in youth. My dad was in the Air Force, and so um, I spent a good chunk of my, my life there. And uh, I happened to have actually some coins, some currency from those days, like literally those days. Like they're, they've been sitting in some uh, you know, box in my basement. Um, and in, so I got 20, 20 pence. Pence is like the cents here in America, one pence and, um, and two pence. They have a two pence. And, 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 and uh, stamped on this two pence is the, the lovely Queen Elizabeth II. Her, she looks lovely. Um, it, what was interesting is when I lived there, there was like this dual kind of reality for me because most of my time I spent on the military base where the school was and our shopping and it was like a little mini America. But then we actually lived on what was base housing, but it was embedded in a, Brit- a British neighborhood. Um, but we liked that because we, we would ride our bikes down to the local corner store, we called the shops. It was a little strip mall, and then in the strip mall was the um, fish and chips joint, which was amazing. I, just, I would love for someone just to open a little fish and chips joint up in Chaska. I would be there. Constantly, there was a little Chinese shop there too, but then there was the local like convenience store where they had all the candy and drinks, and, and we, we felt like we were rich. We would roll up there with 20, 20 pence, and we would buy those, you know, those little uh, Coca-Cola chewy, you know, chewy candies. They had the sugar-coated ones, and the regular, like, I don't know why you would want the regular non-sugar-coated ones when you could have sugar-coated ones, but those were one pence each, and so you could get like 20 of those, one of these. But my, my favorite was the, the Wham bars. Laffy Taffy has nothing on these things. I actually Googled it. I found you can order a box of them from Amazon. So if anybody wants to just, just bless a pastor, man, just order one of those up. I, I would really want one of those at this point. I'd probably lose all my teeth eating one. But um, Now, I, I was in England, and, uh, and these worked. At this time, if I went there, I probably could get very little for these... Uh, this currency, but I was thinking about like a fun joke with just to roll up to McDonald's and like the 14 year old who's at the window just hand him over some of my pence and just kind of look at his face like what what is this man like who is this and I would just draw my attention like this is Queen Elizabeth man like this should get me something but the reality is, is this this currency is is really of no value it, it has no power here in America, it, it's because I am out of the realm of which this coin's use or value or power has. Uh, the, the coin points to what, what kingdom I'm in or what, whose kingdom I'm in, and its inscription and image shows me that. It determines whose rule I'm under. And as we move to our verses this morning, we, we're going to find that Jesus' audience comes to him and He's being challenged once again, questioned by the, the, the teachers and religious of the day. And he uses a, a common coin to, to teach something very powerful about God's kingdom, about God's authority, and who he is in himself and what he has come to do. So let's read our text today and we will pray this morning, beginning at verse 13. 
And they sent to him some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians to trap him in his talk. And they came and said to him, Teacher, we know that you are true and do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? But knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, Why put me to the test? Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. And they brought one. And he said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar's. Jesus said to them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. And Jesus, thank you for for teaching us. We come this morning, Lord, needing to be taught by you. And as we as we sang earlier, as we really we prayed earlier, Lord, that you that you alone would be our heart's desire, Lord. And and we may be here this morning, and that they may not we that may not feel true this morning. Um, but Lord, we do long to worship you. And we want you to be our increasing heart's desire. And Jesus, would you, by your spirit, help us this morning to be drawn into that as we encounter you, Jesus, King and Lord. And that we would want all of our life to be one that honors you, that is surrendered to you. We all said, Amen. Amen. So we started this section last week, and, and Jesus is, is, we know he is in Jerusalem now. This is the final week leading up to his crucifixion. And uh, the pace of Mark was very fast, and it has slowed down. And the remainder of this book is Jesus on his way towards the cross. And we find several challenges in the, the coming chapters of Jesus being challenged by different leaders who represent different authoritative groups, and it's very important because they come to him trying to challenge his authority, and they do so by attacking different topics like we'll see today, taxes, or we'll see about the resurrection soon, or the greatest commandments. So these waves of opposition seeking to undermine Jesus' authority and his teaching, but he uses every one of them to really turn it on them, them and bring us a confidence in who he is, his ability to interpret the law, bring his word to bear and prove that he is uh, the, the authoritative Messiah. So last week, if you remember, some representatives come to him from this group called the Sanhedrin, and they, they basically challenge Jesus, show me your credentials. By what authority are you doing all of these things? And he leaves them speechless because of their ignorance and their inability to discern God's ways and recognize Him as the Messiah, the one sent by God, who they would, God would use their rejection of Him to actually bring salvation for His people. So He's being challenged once again, as we see. Two different groups now come to challenge Jesus, the Pharisees and the Herodians. Well, the Pharisees were a sect of Judaism, and they were, they were strict in adherence to the law, 
their emphasis on piety and holiness. Their name actually is from the Hebrew word, which means separated. That that was their their thing. And they come along with a group called the Herodians. Now, there's very little known about these guys, of actually what what they were all about. I think what it really boils down to and what we know is just what their name represents. So they were this Jewish sect of of Jewish leaders, uh, political party of some sort, and they were supporters of Herod. They were like pro-Herod, right? They were all about his political agenda. And these guys gathered together to come and address Jesus, actually try to trap Jesus. We actually saw back in chapter 3 that these two guys, Herodians and the Pharisees, began to plot how they might kill Jesus. So they, they normally wouldn't be caught dead together as two different groups, but they have an agenda, and their agenda is to thwart Jesus. This is their common enemy. So the religious agenda and this political agenda, they come to catch Jesus, to expose him as a false teacher, diminish his influence. And, and how do they do that? Well, they begin with, with smoozing up to, to Jesus. They, they want to butter him up. Look what, look what he, they say teacher. Well, the irony here is that they, they really don't want to be taught whatsoever, but they call him teacher. We know that you are true, that you do not care about anyone's opinion, meaning you don't show favorites, Jesus. You, you don't judge by appearances. You're not swayed by them. And Lord, you truly teach the way of God. Or Rabbi, you truly teach the way of God faithfully. There's, there is no sincerity whatsoever in what they're saying. Jesus actually says that Jesus knows their hypocrisy. They are not trying to bless Jesus. They were just simply trying to flatter him. And behind flattery is a just proud, proud self-interest. I heard once that, that gossip is saying something about someone else that you wouldn't say to their face. Flattery is saying something to someone's face that you wouldn't say about them to someone else. And this is what they're doing. They wouldn't say this to somebody else. It surely is a helpful reminder for us saints. Gossip is, is ugly, but flattery can be just as ugly too. We are to be truth-speaking people, so let us not be flatterers. So we see the irony here. They call him teacher, and, and then in their flattering words, what they don't believe Jesus really is. He does not live to please men. He lives to please the Father. He is, not, he is impartial. He is sincere. He does not show favorites, and he is true. He is true. He is the truth. He is the sum of all truth. He is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one will come to the Father except through him. So they propose this superbly calculated question. I don't know how long it took for them to draw this one up. Their trap, their well-planned trap. And they asked Jesus, since you are such a man, such a teacher, um, I know you'll be able to answer this question, but should we pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay it or not? So they set the perfect trap in their mind, because this is a a lose-lose situation for Jesus in, in their mind. With one answer, if Jesus says, yes, you have to pay taxes to Caesar, you would lose the influence with the Jewish people or the religious, those who hated Roman oppression, and they thought it was dishonorable to God to have to pay 
uh, fear attacks to Caesar. So Jesus would lose influence with them. Or if Jesus says, don't pay taxes, in this sort of politically charged situation, it would be very anti-Rome, and therefore Rome would be breathing down Jesus' neck. So yes to the tax, Jews would be angry. No to the tax, Rome would be angry. But Jesus knows their heart. He knows their hypocrisy, and he, and he exposes them ever so wisely. So he, what does he say? Why do you put me to the test, bring me a denarius, and let me look at it. Just capture those words for a moment. Look at it. So denarius was a silver coin that was worth a day's wage for a laborer, laborer. And it would have been an amount to satisfy this tax that was being required. And so this tax was required because they were living in, in, in if you lived in Judea, it was, it's a Roman, Roman province, and therefore they would have to pay this tax. It was called a poll tax. And what was horrible about this, it wasn't just like taxation on an item or a product, like if you went to uh, Target and you bought something, at least you're paying tax on something that you're going to get. They don't get anything for this. They're just having to pay this tax to Rome just because they're under the oppressive Roman rule. There was no benefit for them. So Jesus says, let me look at it. Now, this isn't because Jesus doesn't know what it looks like or that he had forgotten what it looks like. He was going to hold up the coins so that they could see something apparently they could not see. This theme of seeing that we've seen over and over again in Mark. He wants them to see something that they were blind to. So, they bring him a coin and he asks this question, whose likeness and inscription is this? Or, in other words, whose image is this? And what does it say? So whose image is on it, and what's the message? Now, it's likely they brought him a Tiberian denarius, which there's a picture up here. And you can see one side had the face of Tiberius Caesar and the Latin inscription, Tiberius Caesar Augustus, son of the divine Augustus. And the other side is a picture of a woman on a throne with a scepter and a crown, and this is either some priestess or it's possibly Tiberius' mother, Livia, wife of Augustus, with the inscription Pontifex Maximus, which means high priest. So, Tiberius, the son of the divine Augustus, this makes Tiberius divine or semi-divine in some sense, sent by the gods, and the other side is is this message high priest. So track with what Jesus is communicating here. Holds up the coin with an image of a divine son and the title high priest on it. David Garland, commentator, mentions that coins in this time, says coins functioned as a propaganda placard for the Roman Empire. So Rome's money had an obvious monetary value to it, but, but he was seeking to push a message forward an agenda. What was the message? That everyone in all places will be subject to Caesar, to Rome's kingdom. So look at the image of the divine or the semi-divine ruler with all authority and bow and submit. And so Jesus has them look at the coin, drawing attention to the image and the inscription And Jesus' question that was posed, whose image and whose inscription? And they say, 
Caesar's. Now, with stunning wisdom, Jesus, in his answer, he avoids the trap of both groups. The lose-lose they thought he was in, he finds this middle way, and this is how he answers. Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. Or give back to Caesar what belongs to him and the thing with his image on it, and give back to God what belongs to God. And they marveled. They marveled. They, they were amazed because they were the ones stumped, not Jesus being stumped. Jesus' answer satisfies both groups, but it goes far beyond what they were really asking. Jesus is, I think, in essence saying, you see, look, this coin has Caesar's name and image on it, therefore give it to him. Pay, pay your taxes. Give, pay your dumb taxes. He has a kingdom. His little stamp on this earthly, his earthly authority, this, his little tiny kingdom like a grain of sand on this planet, give it back to him. That's his sphere. But you know what? Let me, let me zoom out and let, let me give you a bigger picture of it all. Give to God what belongs to God. Consider, consider what has God's name on it? What is marked with his image? What is marked with his divine name over it? Whatever has his name written on it and his image bearing on it, give it back to him. Give to him what he requires and give to him all that he owns. So it begs the question, if Caesar, who claims to be God, gets his little portion, what portion for the one who truly is God, what is his? It is all things. It is all things. It is all things. And, and saints, you and I, you and I have an image stamped upon us. We have an image stamped upon us. Genesis tells us that you and I, men and women, were created in the image of God. You bear the image of God. It's likeness imprinted by him, reflect, to reflect him, to honor him, to worship him. And there's, there's nothing on this entire earth, in this entire cosmos that that isn't with his name over it, his divine claim, his divine authority over it. Revelation 4.11 says, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things. And by your will they were created. John 1.3, Through him, Jesus, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that was made. Colossians 1.16 tells us where all creation, all humanity, all the cosmos will find their end goal and purpose, and it's in Jesus. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. 
this God-man in front of them was the end, the, the culmination, the divine son standing before them. Jesus, Lord of all, from him and through him and to him. See, Tiberius Caesar, the self-proclaimed divine son of Augustus, before them was standing the true divine son, the son of God, the very, the very image of God, as Colossians 1.15 tells us. He is the image of the invisible God. So not only are we marked by the image of God and Jesus as a man bearing the image of God, he is the very image of God as God. Before him, they were blind to 2 Corinthians 4.4 tells the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. He is the true king, the true divine son and whose kingdom and reign has come to earth. He's right there. After his resurrection, Matthew 28 tells us that Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. To surrender to Jesus then is to surrender to God. And to surrender to Jesus and to live in his ways is to live in such a way that you're giving to God all that he is owed. Jesus has been showing us throughout the book of Mark that to follow him, to be his disciple, is to deny all that we are in order to follow him, meaning God lays claim to all of our life. And the argument soon would be, here in Mark upcoming, they would challenge him on what the summary of the law would be, and Jesus just affirms the, the, that summary of the law, to love the Lord God with all heart, soul, mind, and strength. And because Jesus reigns, and he rules, and he is standing before them as the fulfillment of that, as king of kings, that means Caesar has nothing on him. Rome doesn't have anything on him. Caesar doesn't have anything on him. I mean, how powerful would this be? Just a reminder for those first hearers of this gospel and the oppressive reality for those Christians. God reigns. Jesus reigns. I don't have to despair. I don't have to worry about whatever's happening politically. I am under the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So to give back to Caesar the things that have his image on it, he owns it, we need to do that. But what do I owe God? What claim does he have on us? So the question isn't, what do we give to Caesar? It's, what does it look like to live faithfully with him as Lord of all? Lord of all. There really only are two ways for us to live. We will try to build our own little kingdoms, or we will submit to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So whose kingdom, who is Lord for you today? Have you submitted to Jesus Christ as King of kings and Lord of lords? We all have to answer that question. We all have to respond to that question. Through surrendering to Jesus, who is the very image of God as Messiah, as Savior, by his gospel, we then allow him to shape all of our life as his disciples. The meaning God gets to say, gets to say in everything, 
And we get to live then to him, for him, for his glory as we follow the Son, Jesus Christ. And so, as God's people in his kingdom, that means he rules and shapes all that we do and all that we are. But we aren't, we aren't in the business of compartmentalizing, even though we do struggle with this. This is Caesar's and this is God's, or this is church stuff and this is the other part of my life stuff. This is Sunday living and then this is like Monday through Saturday living. Now I appreciate and I've used this and it, it does serve, serve to help us prioritize a life, God, family, work, but it, it, it God doesn't, isn't detached from the family or the work. It is God over all of those things, shaping and informing and communicating and giving and leading us in all of those things. Abraham Kuyper was a, a Dutch pastor, leader. He also was prime minister of the Netherlands in the early 1900s. And he knew something about politics and something about the gospel. And he famously put, put it this way, there is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence, over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. As his disciples, he lays claim to everything, saints. Render to God what is God's. What is God's? All things. All things. So we live our life daily in this sort of American context and we seek to give him glory and honor and praise and allow him to reign in all that we do, in our, in our working, in our, in our crafting, in our parenting, in our cooking, in our paying taxes, in our voting, coaching sports, changing oil, mowing lawns, whatever you got to do, and all our neighboring, that we would live in such a way that we would display that he is all in all. We are under him, that to him and through him are all things. To him be glory forever. Now, there certainly is a politically charged moment here in this text. But this is a very tiny text, and we cannot inform all of our thoughts as Christians in politics from this particular text. But I do think there's a couple of things we could maybe draw attention to. One, positively, Jesus pushes us towards a responsibility to this realm, this political realm, to be responsible as citizens of a country and do our part as disciples of Jesus Christ. We do need to participate and engage in a way that's, that we serve, we, we connect, that we do our part. We live in a political world, at times very unchristian, broken, and yet the expectations is for us to remain faithful in imaging God to be like Jesus and also engage in civil responsibilities. There's a sphere of human government, and we are to be Christians in that. We heard earlier Andrew's prayer, Romans 13, would tell us to be subject to the governing authorities. We have a responsibility to that. We also have a call to pray for our leaders so that we could live peaceful and quiet and godly, dignified lives in every way. We do rejoice in this victory that has come for protection of the unborn, and there is a call now for us to continue to be responsible on whatever that's going to look like on the back end. May the church be an answer to that. 
And there's a warning here too. There's a warning here too. And we have seen this in the past few years in our country. We must be careful to not give more to Caesar in our hope and our trust than what God alone deserves. Who has our heart? Who has our hope? as we engage in politics? A party or a group or a man or does God? America is not our hope, saints. Our hope is Jesus. That is who our allegiance is to. That is whose kingdom we're in and that's whose king has our heart and our hope. But we want him to control all of that. Him to determine that. So let's remember, saints, whatever Wherever end you land on or the spectrum in between, maybe you champion one party and you're very anti-current president, who do you trust in? Can you say, all things are God's. He, is my, he has my heart. I trust in the Lord. You're fearful of who might end up on the upcoming presidential ticket. Can you say, God is sovereign. All things are God's. He has my hope. He is he is my joy. He is my strength. So we don't give up. We don't pull out and disengage. And we also don't despair, whatever it looks like. We are resting our confidence in the sovereign God of the universe who rules the visible and invisible thrones or Caesars or presidents. All things are through him and for him. Let us rest in that, saints. Let us rest in that. I recently came across an article just challenging believers in appropriate ways to celebrate the good of our nation and yet not fall into idolatry and nation worship. And he just mentioned a little story about his church. There, he's in Texas and how his church, there's like 34 nations represented within his church. And they have flags of all those nations within their, somewhere in their church. Just a, just a reminder, if I'm a native of Texas, grew up in Texas, live in Texas, I'm a Texas person, very politically charged folks down there in Texas. Just a reminder, this, this God's, God's rule and his kingdom is much bigger than this little place we're living in and this little time on the planet. I think it's very helpful for us to be reminded, reminded of that. So let us, let us enjoy Fourth of July this coming weekend. I enjoy, I'll have American flags somewhere and I'll be thanking God for the blessings and freedom, the common grace we have, but let's keep our hearts from idolatry in the midst of that. So the taxation of Israel from an oppressive government was, was pretty horrible to have felt that then. But if that wasn't bad enough, there was some Jews um, that worked for that oppressive government to collect taxes for Rome. That was a pretty dirty job. Those guys were scum. They, they were hated. But do you remember the, the tax collector we met earlier in chap, chapter 2 in Mark? Jesus encountered him, and he was quick to say, follow me. And the next thing you know, Jesus is hanging out having a barbecue with a bunch of sinners and the scummy tax collectors. And these same religious leaders challenging Jesus, wagging their head, can't believe, Jesus, what are you doing eating with these tax collectors, these dirty sinners? Jesus' reply to them was, 
My good news are for those who are in cahoots with Caesar. My, my good news are for those who, who haven't lived lives giving to God all that is God's perfectly. And that includes every one of us in this room. That includes us this week. For we, Jesus comes for those who fail royally at actually giving to God all that is God's with everything in their life every minute of the day. That is why we need a Savior. That is why Jesus came. He came to come near those, be friends to those, to love them, to transform them, to change them who royally fail at that. So uh, I don't know if you're here this morning and maybe you're, you're hearing this today and you're just thinking, I, I, I failed. I bunged it up this week really bad. Shame and guilt maybe just be present on your heart. Think, I did not give all to God what is God's as he deserves, as he owes what he's owed. There's grace for you today. There's forgiveness for you today. There's a Savior who comes and sits down with those who royally screw up and mess up, and that's all of us, to remind them of the forgiveness and grace that he brings So the way we give back to God all that is God's is to live a life trusting in Jesus as Savior, as Lord, and resting and leaning in the grace and the power that he gives us to do so, following him in all of Jesus' ways as his disciple. So all those who come to Christ, who confess him Lord of all, Jesus stamps his likeness upon them. He fills them with his spirit so that in the work of his spirit, we are transformed and we can grow in increasing ways, giving back to God all that is his, living humble lives to worship and honor and trust to him as Lord. And there is freedom in that. There's freedom in that. If we, if we look to Caesar to provide only what God can provide, our hope arrests in that anxiety fear, hopelessness, but when we look to Christ, we look to Jesus Christ, we look to his ways, we look confidently to the the righteousness that we are given by him with his image upon us, that's freedom. There's help in that. So let's look to that. Let me pray for us to that end. Lord, we we are, we are met with a challenge with your words to give to you, God, all that is yours. For we come up short in that. But Jesus, that is why you, you came. You came to, to live, Jesus, the life that we, that we should live and that we have failed to, to measure up to and Lord, you on the cross paid the penalty for us for ways we have failed to, to do that, trying to build our own little kingdoms or live in our own ways, exalting our own image rather than exalting your name, Jesus. And, and Lord, in your grace, in, your, in the freedom that you bring to our hearts, Lord, we, we can rest in what you have given us, not by what we've done, but what you've given to us by grace. And, and because we're yours, Lord, because you have 
put your name upon us. We know that we are kept by you. We, we are held by you. We are known by you. Your name is written on us, Jesus. And therefore, we can follow you. We can live in the good of your ways. We can rest confidently in your forgiveness and in your love, knowing that whatever comes our way, Lord, you are God. You are Lord of all. You are sovereign. You are in control. And we can rest in you. And then we can just, we can seek every day just align those things in our life to give back to you what you deserve, Jesus. The little and the big. If there's any here, Lord, today that are just living in a place of condemnation and shame in that, Lord, I just ask for your, your grace to come and meet them in that. They would be just an experience of your forgiveness and your love today. You come, you come for sick the sick, Lord. You don't come for the righteous. So let, let them find peace in your forgiveness today. Rest in your forgiveness today. And Lord, let us as a, as a people, as a church, to whatever the political climate, however it rises and falls, how it changes daily, Lord, let, let our eyes be fixed on you, Christ. King of kings, Lord of lords. Let us work and labor as a church to be one who doesn't promote or exalt the things that don't deserve to be promoted or exalted above the unity that comes through your spirit, that comes through being together in you. So protect us, guard our hearts, grow us in love and unity in that, Jesus. We are yours. We are your people. We are in your kingdom and we are you are our king, and we are brothers and sisters in your kingdom. So let that be, be the thing that we celebrate, Lord.